The Tom Woods Show, episode 1654. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Great week of episodes coming up here on The Tom Woods Show because tomorrow I've got Thad Russell. Thaddeus Russell from Renegade University is back and we're gonna talk about what is it that's making the left favor lockdowns. Is that a necessary outcome of leftist ideology? Very, very interesting to observe that phenomenon. So we're gonna be talking about that with him. Then Michael Heiss will be on talking about some Libertarian Party shenanigans going on. Then Carla Garrick of the Free State Project and Pork Fest is gonna be talking to us about what's going on up there and updating us on that. The great Michael Rechtenwald, the truth-telling former NYU professor is coming back Absolutely fantastic week. Right now, plenty of awesomeness for you for today. And that involves my conversation recently with Pete Canones, who is the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. You can check that out at freemanbeyondthewall.com. And we're talking about that virus. And I know, I know, I know I said I wasn't gonna always talk about it, but doggone it, you look through social media, that's all people are talking about. It really, really is. And my thinking on it keeps developing. Oh, and by the way, the ebook came out. So go to wrongaboutlockdown.com. Wrongaboutlockdown.com. Get my free ebook. Your Facebook friends are wrong about the lockdown. So wrongaboutlockdown.com is how you get my free ebook. It's really good, by the way. Uh, chapter one. I, well, I'm not even going to tell you. I just like it, okay? <laughs> I think it came out really well. So go to wrongaboutlockdown.com. Now, do not email me and say, the page doesn't work. It does work. It does work. But when you click on it to get the book, if you're running an ad blocker, you're disrupting my ability to send you the book. So shut down your ad blocker, shut down your pop-up blocker. I'm trying to send you the book, okay? So the, the page works. You don't. That's the thing. So wrongaboutlockdown.com is where to go. All right, here we go with my conversation with Pete Canonis. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing great, Pete. How are you? Good. I wanted to have you on. You're one of the only people I haven't had on to talk about this insanity that we've been going through for uh, the better part of two months. And um, well, let's just jump in there. What, what When all this started, like, what did you think when you saw that like sports was can they were canceling like the NBA, the NHL and like MLB. And where were you at with that? It still astonishes me that how quickly all that happened. And I think that I'll try and give them the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't think at this point they deserve it anymore. I think they thought it was going to be a lot deadlier than it's turned out to be, or a lot more unpredictable than it's turned out to be. I mean, state after state after state, half of the deaths from it, are happening not just among the elderly, but in nursing homes specifically. I mean, that is an astonishing statistic. I mean, the average football player has nothing to worry about with this. This should be obvious by now. But in any case, yeah, that was... And by the way, that's also what's been making me... Um, I was impressed to see that the NFL, I don't know if you saw this, released a, I don't know, a statement or something laying out their proposed fall schedule. They are intending to go on as scheduled, and um, I can't remember if they're pushing it back a week or whatever, but I, more or less as scheduled, and with the expectation of fans in the stands. like They're ready to return to living, but you're right. Those things being canceled, I, at this point, I prob I've told the story several times, but not everybody's heard it, I'm sure. I can't get over how much of a different universe I was in a couple of months ago when I didn't anticipate any of this. I was having lunch with our mutual friend, Gene Epstein, and I was telling him, well, I'm getting, this was March 7th, March 7th, I was in New York City eating with Gene. And we didn't shake hands, he has a Japanese wife, and, and so we did a, like a Japanese bow to each other, but that was it, we had a meal together. And I told him, I've got a trip coming up to Scotland, I've got a trip coming up to Dubai, and this virus is throwing all that into question. But we agreed that, and and even though he at that time knew that he being 75 is in the vulnerable category, his view was I should go live my life. You should, you should assess the risk involved and then live your life if you think that's the way you ought to do it. And I said, yeah, I think that's probably the way I'm thinking. 
And I had no idea that we wouldn't be able to make that decision. You know, so like the idea that we would be in a world where the sporting leagues would be shutting down had not crossed anybody's mind by that point. I mean, remember, Bill de Blasio was still telling people, virus or no virus, go out on the town and have fun at right at that time that I was there. So that it changed so dramatically in ways nobody could have anticipated. And back then, my thought was, well, it might be deadly. It might be uh, no big deal. Nobody really knows, but I guess we'll just have to see what happens and take some reasonable precautions. It never occurred to me that we would all think it made sense to do this or that you would be an evil person for wondering if this is the best thing to do. I was sitting at my desk at work and it just kept scrolling across on on the homepage was NHL cancels, NBA cancels. And I guess because those things are have been such a a presence in my life for my whole life that it didn't even register. I think after a couple of days, I was just like, what's going on here? Is this thing as serious as it is? And then <laughs> pretty quickly, I was like, wait a minute. A lot of tyranny can come out of this. And right. I was like, that, that's what I jumped on immediately was if they're going to, if they shut down billion dollar, if, if companies that and organizations that generate billions and billions a year shut down, what's going to happen to a small business? Right. But of course, that's the fact that these big things shut down is what made a lot of us initially think this must be serious because the NFL doesn't shut down for anybody. So if they're shutting down, then Disney World shuts down. I mean, Disney World costs a fortune and rakes in an even bigger fortune. They shut down. That's not good. It's not something they want to have happen. So that initially made me really worried about it. Now, in my case, I saw a series of concerts be canceled that I had tickets for and was ready to go to. But, you know, what's interesting about the power of, I don't know, we'll call it herd mentality, is that I actually had tickets to go to something called the Central Florida Metal Fest. And I had a friend coming in and three of us were going to go. And and like a week, uh, within a week, like less than seven days before the governor said, all right, no gatherings, more than 10 people or whatever, we were set to have this thing. And they were almost up to the eve of it saying, look, we're metal people. We're not going to let some virus stop us. We're going to go to our metal fest. And that was the universal consensus on the Facebook page for the event. Universal. We are all going, screw this stupid thing. We're going to live our lives. Now, now that was back when the virus seemed to be deadlier than we now know it to be. Now, when the virus is far less deadly than we thought it was before, if you go to any of these pages, they're all cowering and saying, well, I guess no concerts till 2021. You're the same people who, when this was 10 times deadlier, you were ready to go out and risk it. What the hell happened? It's CYA, right? It's liability. Uh, for the venue, yes. But for, but for the attendees, I think it's they don't want to be called a grandma killer. Yeah. yeah. I, Whereas I've been called worse than a grandma killer for so long <laughs> in my life that this stuff just rolls right off me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Those of us who have been accused of, of like being wanting to have anarchy and see everybody be murdered and raped. You know, this is getting yelled at on social media. This is like just yeah, a, or, or another called day. a Nazi. Yeah. 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 You know, if, if I'm going to be yelled at for, for not staying six feet away from a person, I think I can take that. I'm thick skinned enough at this point. <laughs> when did you realize that this was just completely out of hand, completely overblown and that they weren't going to back, back off that they weren't, they were like, no, we're going to keep this going. We're going to double down on this. Well, the thing that, because remember at the beginning, I was very worried about it. Like there was one concert where I, we were kind of wondering, well, should we go? It ended up being canceled or postponed a couple days later anyway. But at the time I was thinking it over, I was thinking, well, I, you know, we're going to be in the upper tier where there's a lot of space to move around. Like I was actually thinking that way, that this is a real danger to me. I think the thing that first got me to think differently wasn't actually about anything going on in the U.S. It was looking at what was going on in other countries. And yeah, I know that we're supposed to say that, well, the reason other countries did better than the U.S. is that they responded quicker. Remember, 
Okay, but you know, I it kind of reminds me of Y2K. Now, I was worried about Y2K. But then when it went from 1999 to the year 2000, and you're starting to see these countries around the world that are ushering in the year 2000 before the United States does, like Egypt, <laughs> and they're fine. Look, if any country in the world was going to collapse, it would be a country like Egypt. They got through Y2K just fine. So I thought, well, if they got through it just fine, <laughs> you know, like something's <laughs> screwy here, right? This thing has been overblown. Well, so likewise, I, I, I know there are places that were hit very badly, like, like Italy and Iran, not to mention New York City. But how come Iraq got hit almost not at all? I mean, is Iraq such a radically different society from Iran? That it, I mean, if anything, you would think after it should have been the other way, right? I mean, Iraq has been ravaged by war and sectarian violence and bombing for years and years. So if it were the other way around, the excuse makers would say, oh, well, of course, it's going to be worse uh, in, in Iraq. We would all expect that because of the well, we would expect that, wouldn't we? And yet exactly the opposite happened. And I found there was so little curiosity among these people as to why that they were so eager to say the United States is the next Italy. When it turns out that, well, in the U.S., yeah, we've had a lot of deaths, probably half of them in nursing homes. Not that that's not important, but at least it means that the deaths aren't randomly distributed, which would be truly terrifying because then there'd be no way to, to, uh, to take you know, measures to protect ourselves. It's a lot easier now that we know who the vulnerable people are. But there was just no curiosity about why. So in other words, I thought they're just taking the worst scenario and almost wishing it on people. Like, like for example, with Japan. Japan did, did pretty well with this, even though its lockdown, if you want to call it that, was f quite mild compared to other people's. And then you get, well, they tested a lot. I mean, there's always something. There's always – it has to be some neat little glib answer. And so it was, well, they tested a lot. They didn't test 5% as much as South Korea did, not 5% as much. So it's not that. Well, then it was, oh, well, uh, they're really clean in Japan, you know, and they wash their hands and they wear masks and whatever. Yeah, but the thing is you knew that about Japan already but when you were predicting there'd be a disaster. So you can't pull that card now. You knew that when you were predicting the disaster. And, and I remember – Japan, probably sometime maybe late March, early April, started to introduce more social distancing requirements. And you got a chorus of media screaming, too little, too late. And it was almost like these ghouls were rubbing their hands together in anticipation of the outbreak that Japan deserved. It never happened. And, and it's always – the joke became – because on Twitter, people would always say, well, you wait two weeks and it will be there. <laughs> Well, we've waited two, three, four, or in Hong Kong, middle of March, I read an article saying that the, the number of cases had doubled. They suddenly had a doubled number of confirmed cases. And people were saying, oh, you wait two weeks. It's going to be a bloodbath in, uh, in Hong Kong. So I waited the two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, not one additional death out of Hong Kong. So all this stuff together made me think, okay, obviously we understand far less about this thing than these people with their clipboards think we do. And there isn't necessarily a reason to think that everywhere this thing strikes, it's a, a apocalyptic catastrophe. And yet these people keep speaking. They keep finding the most catastrophic stories the, or, or they exaggerate. They'll say, and by the way, the Drudge Report has been terrible. I, I can't even read Drudge Report because Drudge used to be known for featuring a lot of outlying kinds of stories. But on the virus, the only outlying stories he features are the most panicked ones. He never has positive or you know, result outlying stories. So it, there's obviously a bias running through that. But you would get things like in the New York Post, oh, my goodness, a 20-year-old boy with – Nothing to be worried about. He was told, don't worry about it. He went home and he died of the coronavirus. Oh, and by the way, they tell us in paragraph 10, he had leukemia. <laughs> you know, after a, a, a lot of this, I just thought, no, this obviously then, I think there's something to it. I think we probably should protect ourselves against it. But this is us. This is the most manipulative campaign imaginable. It is not at all what you would think normal people would be saying and doing in this situation. I think one of the things that really helped me through this was having supporters who are doctors and in 
medical care and work in hospital systems and having them, I mean, I don't have, I actually do have a, a childhood friend in who lives in New York, whose wife is a nurse and she, he fed me some information, but talking to medical professionals and going, yeah, we have a hundred ICU beds set aside. We're using three and they won't reconfigure. They won't, they're not opening it back up to elective surgeries and things like that. And I even heard about a hospital in Kentucky closing down. Yeah. It's, it, this is, that's what's really gotten me through this is having access to good people who are just like, yeah, this isn't what, what they think it is. And then you, you ask them about, Hey, what about New York city? And they're just like, no idea, N no idea well, what's going on up there. On NPR, on their website, they just had an article about these so-called field hospitals that were built around the country to cope with what everyone expected to be surges of patients. And with the exception of the Javits Center of New York, where they had potentially 1,900 beds, and at its height, it was about half full. But with that exception, most of them never saw one patient, not any. And many of them are already closing down, never having seen a single patient or at most a handful. But most of them, if you look at the chart, it's zero, 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 zero. What do you say about this? What is happening here? It's a rhetorical question. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think to myself as somebody who is realizes how flawed a human they are and how often words like I'm sorry, I made a mistake come out of my mouth. They're not going to do that. They're going to deflect it and say, oh, well, you know, because of the social distancing, because people were wearing masks, because of this, because of that, we were able, it, it would have been 2 million. If I mean, that's what people on social media are saying. That's any, you know, I, I was talking with, um, we were talking about Danny Scherzen before we recorded and everything. And I told them, I said, it's like, if you question like the, the 70,000 number, I think that's going around right now. And you say, well, CNN said 3,700 people in New York, they just put down that they died of COVID, but they were never tested. You say, well, that number is lower. They treat you like you're a Holocaust denier. Yeah, I, I know. It's just trying to be sensible about this and keep your head. You get all kinds of crazy reactions. So if you try to point out that around the country, things are not really so bad. You know, places where we were, there was a prediction that, oh, this is going to be terrible. Texas is going to be terrible. Or this is, is this too little too late? And then it all turns out fine. There's no follow-up story. It all turns out fine. Like, for example, in Pittsburgh, we just had the head of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. He's the chief medical and scientific officer there say, we got to open this state back up. And he said, we have in our very large hospital system, 5,500 beds. At the height of this crisis, the height, we used 110 of them at once for, for these COVID patients. Enough is enough. And you try to say that, and the response is, tell that to people in New York City. And Pete, this is, <laughs> these are the people who say follow the science, and they're almost their entire approach is anecdotal. It's about one city or one small child or one person who's whose uncle they knew, and that's supposed to refute your numbers and your evidence. Look, this is overwhelmingly, you know, people, it's hurting people above age 70, primarily age 80. More people above age 100 have died of it than under age 30. And their actual answer to that is, I know a guy who was 43. <laughs> and you're the science people? And then it comes out that Cuomo had ordered elderly people who were in like long-term care in facilities who had tested positive. Oh, send them back. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, yeah. just this, I mean, I know this is anecdotal, but it's personal. My uncle is in a long-term facility in South Florida. I mean, you can imagine South Florida, but what happened? South Florida got out ahead of this. I mean, they have a lot of long-term care facilities down there. There's a lot of elderly people in, you know, in that uh, age range that this is attacking. They shut that place down. Um, it was in the, at the ending of March. And what's funny is he told me this, that they wouldn't let you, you can't leave your room. 
basically. And I know that's got to be killing a lot of people. He's very strong. Uh, his mind is still all still there. So he's very strong about this. Look, I, we got to do this and everything. But what he told me was it used to be that like two people a week just die in there because it's a long-term care facility. He said after six weeks of being shut down down there, like nobody had died, not of anything. And so there were in this facility, there are no deaths. And so it seems like some people took it seriously. Some people knew exactly what to do and they took care of it. And then the, the big hero governor of New York, who has a 91% approval rating, even with Republicans up there, he basically sent people back to an infect whole facilities and he's hailed. Yeah, that's, that's Looney Tune stuff. When the dust settles, I, my hope is that this becomes like the Iraq war, the thing everybody supported at the time that later they look at embarrassed. They try to minimize their role in it. I hope so. But what's interesting to me is that it seems like there are two parallel societies being formed right before our eyes because I featured in my email newsletter not too long ago a summary from somebody who had been on a webinar hosted by some kind of professional association of choirs. And in this webinar, they were saying, well, look, we're not going to be able to have any safe choir performances for the next year or two, if even that. And they had all these unreasonable demands that, you know, we'd have to have testing before every single thing and stand six feet apart. And all, that. And all these people whose lives revolve around singing in choirs that brings them so much joy. One by one in the comments, we're all saying, oh, gosh, this is heartbreaking that I have to give up choir. And so person after person is just giving up the things that gave their lives meaning so that they can instead just have a vegetable biological existence. On the other hand, you have a society that is craving reopening, that wants to re-embrace the things that separate us from plants and animals, that wants to get us back out there doing that, realizing that most of us are at zero risk, absolutely zero risk, that people who are at risk should make their own sensible risk assessments. But the rest of us should live our lives and not feel guilty about that. We get only one of them. And it seems that only fair that the younger people, and I increasingly don't count myself in that group any longer, but <laughs> the younger people should have the same chance to do the life-affirming things that we oldsters had a chance to do. How unfair is that to say, because I'm old and I'm vulnerable, you can't do the things I did when I was young. I would never dream of saying that to young people, not, not in a million years. So we've got these, we've got people who won't leave their houses because they really are afraid that if they go to IHOP, they're going to get the virus. And then you have other people who want to go out and hit the ground running. I wonder what that looks like in the long run. Well, I know that last week you, you had found out that Georgia was reopening. And as someone who lives in Georgia, I'm doing air quotes right now because there are the amount of restaurants that you can go sit in and it's slow, very, very slow. Oh, and not way. to mention, I found out later, there are literally 39 rules that restaurants now have to follow. They didn't have to follow before. 39 additional rules. I thought people were throwing 39 around as just a funny sounding random number when actually they meant seven, but 39 is funnier, like an exaggeration. <laughs> it's literally 39. So I don't, I, at first I was blaming these restaurants for not opening kind of in my mind that, oh, for heaven's sake, I mean, will you just go ahead and open? Uh, some of them are probably not opening out of genuine, sincere concern. Some of them are not opening because they're afraid they'll get boycotted by crazy people. But still, others are probably not opening because they can't meet the 39 requirements. Yeah, so you were up here. You went to a couple of restaurants. Uh, let me ask you a question because we actually we, we went out to eat together. The first night you were here and you found a place to eat, did you at all feel odd about it? Like maybe you were doing something naughty? I absolutely felt that way. And here I am, Mr. Let's reclaim our lives over here. But <laughs> even I sitting there, I'll tell you where I went. I, I was looking through Google. And Google's been more accurate than I thought it would be in keeping a close watch on which restaurants are actually open for dine-in. Mm -hmm. So they now have a little thing next to the restaurant that says dine-in, take-out, delivery. And there's either a red X next to it or a green check mark. So I was going down the list of restaurants near our hotel, and it was just red Xs as far as the eye could see. And then suddenly, 
the I could see the glorious green check mark next to a restaurant, and I looked at it, and it was Morton's, <laughs> the steakhouse that I love so much. I've eaten at Morton's all over the place. I've taken Michael Malice to dinner at Morton's so many times, and they were open. And I said, we're going. <laughs> we're going to go eat at Morton's, one of my favorite places. And we got a bottle of wine. I mean, and I spent way too much on this bottle of wine. But we were just having a great time. And yeah, it was weird because we were spread out. But that was partly because almost nobody knew, as you said, since so few places are open, who knows which ones are. And unless you're a crazy foodie like me, you're not going to go to the trouble to figure it out. So not that many people knew. And secondly, it is kind of an uh, – it's, it's not a cheap place to eat dinner. And on a Wednesday night, that's not a real hot spot, so to speak. So there weren't that many people, and we were spread out, and our server had a mask. But I was expecting everybody I came across in all these uh, restaurants that I've eaten at to be surly and resentful. Because I've been listening to what the left has been saying about the oppressed workers who are terrified for their health and want to stay home. They were all grateful to have jobs, and they were all glad to be back. All genuinely, they weren't putting on a show for me. But yeah, isn't it weird that it just seemed, but then with each time doing it, by the time I had dinner with you or lunch with you, it, I was like an old pro at eating at restaurants again. It didn't seem like much of anything. But yeah, after all that time, it it seemed kind of weird. Like, are, am I even supposed to be doing this? Yeah, Jen and I went back to the restaurant that we went to that we had lunch at for lunch the following day. And yeah, our server was like, insanely happy to see us was insanely happy to see somebody there i mean she was you couldn't have asked for a better attitude and that's just amazing you know it's it's got to be so rough for them i mean think about how much time they lost think about how much money they lost and man i through this whole thing i've never i'm working less hours um on my day job but i i never stopped working and it really just that was the thing that probably upset me the most was thinking about all those people who couldn't work and you know wanted to and wanted to get out there. And what made me even more upset was that they were just accepting it and not questioning it. And you, you know that so many people had that attitude of, well, this is just what we have to do to go along to get along. And I've never understood that attitude. I've always been a quote unquote rebel. Yeah, understood. And the thing is, Look, I've always been a square nerd. Let me just be honest with you. That's, that's what I've always been. So the, the fact that anyone ever thought of me as being somebody who fights the power has always been funny to me because I suppose that is what I write about. That is what I say. It's just been hard for me to really put myself in those shoes because I still feel like the goody two-shoes nerd from school. But in this day and age, boy, it sure doesn't take a lot to be a rebel. Now just doing simple things like that. And by the way, I've been trying to you know, go to restaurants here in um, – I, I live in the armpit of Florida, St. Cloud. Uh, there, there are a couple of nice parts of St. Cloud, and, and I live in one of those. But it's a terrible – there's no reason ever to visit here. No, no <laughs> Unless you're passing from Melbourne to, to Orlando, you might pass through St. Cloud or Melbourne to Kissimmee. But anyway, the point is they've been opening up little by little, and so we've been going. And I've kind of set aside a fund for tips – because I'm leaving by far the biggest tips I've ever left. I mean, these are huge, outrageously large tips. Because I feel like you know, it's easy for people to say, we're all in this together and we're just cooperatively working. Like, for example, today, somebody shared an article Dave Smith retweeted and that I wrote about, about mental health in this crisis and how many deaths of despair will occur as a result of all this. And one study estimates 75,000 so-called deaths of despair, which means suicides or alcohol or drug overdoses. So I saw somebody sharing that, and one comment was, well, I have no sympathy for those people. I mean, they couldn't take a couple of months of mutual cooperation during a pandemic, and that's what makes them kill themselves. And I thought, okay, that's, first of all, that is, that shows absolutely no empathy whatsoever, shows no understanding of mental health. But Beyond that, is that really how you describe forcibly doing all these horrible things, destroying people's lives, careers, uh, everything they've built over the course of their existences? You call that mutual cooperation? That's no. Cooperation occurs spontaneously and peacefully. So it's easy for that guy 
to think he's cooperating and he's playing a role by just barking out orders at people violently. What about something that you do voluntarily? Well, one thing I can do voluntarily is the individual people I see, I can help try to make them whole a bit by giving them a completely outrageous tip that has no connection whatsoever with the bill I just paid because I know probably they're struggling. That's how you help people, by actually doing something. Have you been following the openings, quote-unquote openings, in any of the other states? Little by, a little bit. Um, In Georgia, which we've just been talking about, I did see a tweet today about, now I don't remember the exact uh, metric, but it was something like the lowest positive rate they've had and lowest number of hospitalizations. There's something very similar was just announced in Florida, where I live, that the numbers are looking outstanding. We are testing more than ever, and we're finding fewer and fewer positives, and every metric is going our way. And this is great just on a human level, but it's also great because, again, the ghouls were they were they really were ghoulishly rubbing their hands together like stupid florida they didn't lock down fast enough they deserved what's going to happen to them i mean it's like a bloodlust with some of these people they deserve what's going to happen to them we they locked down 2 weeks too late okay well the surge in hospitalizations never happened it never happened the original projection in one of these models was 465,000 hospitalizations by the end of April. We had about 5,500. So good, that's good. And all normal people should be cheering that instead of ghoulishly wishing death upon people so that they can say, I told you so. And if you think that's not what these people are doing, spend some time on Twitter. That is happening. Now, other places, yeah, I have been following Texas a little bit. And and I've been following these things because I want to know where can I go? I, I want to visit places, and I want to know what's open. So I actually wrote to Eric July, who lives in Texas, and I said, any restaurants open in your area that I can take you out to? Because <laughs> I'd like to show up. And he said, some of them are. So yeah, little by little, I, I um, am getting information. And, and it seems like, it's probably too early to say, but things are going fine. Things are going fine in Denmark after their partial reopen. Austria, things seem to be going fine. So I don't know. It sounds good to me. It seems to me that if anything would have broken through the, I mean, just the fracture of the last three and a half years, it would have been something dangerous, something, a threat, another 9-11, which I, mean, I think this is the response to this. If we had another 9-11, like in the beginning of March, the response would, wouldn't have been anything like this. I mean, the level of tyranny that, I think is going to stick with this is beyond what nine, what the original nine 11 was. And I, anyone who wants to argue that with me can, but this it's almost well, as, but you if, know what, but the good thing here, good. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just thinking the, the, the silver lining, even though it won't, you know, it doesn't solve all the problems that you're anticipating is that this is really, really a case where federalism is going to be our friend. And, and I, and you know, and sometimes as libertarians, we have a, a weird relationship with federalism because we know that in general, probably the incentives are better if power is broken up into little pieces. And if one place becomes particularly bad, you can always move to another one. Whereas it's much, much more difficult logistically and culturally to just up and move out of the United States. So we know that. But on the other hand, we know that there are a lot of states that do terrible things. You know, So f- just, just insisting on federalism is not entirely satisfying for a libertarian. But in this case, it's really great that we have it. Because we will have states opening up with, I think, quite manageable outcomes. And that means other states, even the blue check marks from Twitter, who are always letting us know how happy they are to be confined in their homes living like vegetables. They're glad to tell us that all the time, every chance they get. That's, that's not going to last. I, I think even deep down, even these lizard people are fundamentally human on some level. And at some point, they have to snap. And it will help to have the examples. Look, if even these hick states that you, you, know, you criticize all the time and make fun of, the, the stupid backward red states, ha, 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 if they're doing fine, you should probably be okay. You know, so I think the examples of the reopening in state after state will be helpful. But I, I think the reopening is just happening so 
excruciatingly slowly. We have somebody in, you're in my private group, and we have somebody in there from South Carolina who says, now this is South Carolina, which is supposed to be as the reddest of the red states. She says, I defy you to read the governor's executive orders and figure out in any way how to determine what can open and what can't. I, I defy you to figure this out. So I think it's going way too slowly. It's too convoluted. Nobody knows what the metrics they're using are. I don't think they know what the metrics are. I think some of them are using metrics that can't ever possibly be met. So eventually what's going to have to happen is they're just going to open up anyway and just hope, as Alex Berenson says, that people will be too happy even to care that they're being inconsistent. Well, wait, we never met the metrics. Oh, shut up, man. At least we're open, (laughs) you know? Well, I think the one thing that scares me at this point, and um, I think I saw you tweet or retweet somebody else who was retweeting Jonah Goldberg, and Jonah Goldberg is like, we need massive testing, is when massive testing happened where thousands and thousands per day, people are going to test positive because they may already have the antibodies. And the one fear I have is that they're going to take that as an opportunity to say, okay, 20% are testing positive, we need to shut it back down, which I don't think is impossible. I don't know that it would happen in Georgia, uh, but other states just just might. Yeah, yeah. Well, the testing positive thing is, of course, not what matters, because if if it's a very young group that's testing positive, it makes no difference. They're not even going to notice they have it. Almost all of them, not even going to notice they have it. So we got to keep our eye on the ball, which is hospitalizations and, frankly, deaths. Those are the things that matter with especially, I mean, if, yes, the virus seems to be quite contagious, but in other ways, it's giving us clues that we had no right to expect. I mean, the fact that it targets one demographic so, I want to say exclusively, but so heavily, we had no right to expect that. It could have indiscriminately gone after the population. So we keep, you can keep the vulnerable people safe and if the rest still have it circulating around out there, it's, it doesn't mean anything. This one, uh, going forward, remember all the, all the stuff that happened after 9-11? Oh, we need the Patriot Act because, um, you know, we have the, the terrorists. And then that just basically becomes the norm. And the one thing that really, the one ter- phrase that scares the crap out of me, it doesn't scare me, but I think people should be alarmed by it, is contact tracing. Oh, I thought you were going to say the new normal. No, but no. yeah, no, I don't. I've actually used that when it comes to not when it comes to the um, the virus itself, but the tyranny that's being the, the tyranny that's being instituted, and it seems like people want it. But no, this contact tracing because this is panopticon level stuff where it's like, oh, we need you to have this app on your phone and everything, and then it's like, okay, what if somebody doesn't have a smartphone? Are you going to start? giving away smartphones now? I mean, how do they plan on doing this? I mean, they're already... I saw a video from China today. I actually posted it on Twitter of this kid who's going into... And it's a child. I mean, maybe six or seven years old. And they, they're going into this building, but all the things that they have to do to go through it, clean their hands, they get sprayed down with something, and then they have their temperature taken, things like that. And it's crazy to think that there are think tanks that are talking about requiring that until there's a vaccine kind of thing. Yeah, I know, which is why I, I think what I'm describing about two societies is, uh, is going to be a really interesting development because I don't see very many people. I mean, we have got, I don't know what names we could give them, but there's definitely the society of fear and the society of life, uh, you know, and and I don't see the society of life shedding a lot of people over to the society of fear. I just don't see that. But I do think the society of fear is going to start shedding people because you, you keep seeing that your kid can't do anything, any of the things that, okay, even if, even if you've checked out a life, you know, even if you're just checked out for whatever reason, your, your kids need that, they need that soccer. They need those things that gave texture to their life, things that made them strive for something that inspired them. And all those things consistently ripped away from them. Eventually, you're going to see people moving to different states and implicitly or explicitly joining team life, more or less. I think that's what's going to happen. It doesn't solve all problems, but the trend has to be in our direction. It has to be. It isn't going to be that over time, people who are out and about enjoying their lives are going to 
start joining the, the hysterics. If they're smart enough to have evaded all that already, they're not going to change now. Whereas the, the fearful people at some point are going to wake up and say, what is life all about anyway? What's the, what's the purpose of life? I had a, a, a question I posed on Twitter the other day. Maybe you saw this. And I didn't mean it to be an exact an, uh, analogy to the current situation. I meant it to be a thought experiment. Because my, I, in my newsletter, I, I quoted somebody as saying that the, the people with the, the scientists with their clipboards are acting as if the very things that make human life human life are just optional extras. But they're not. A big family reunion, a concert, a play, theater, culture. So all those things are part of human life. And when people just keep seeing, as I say, their, their kids deprived of these things and they themselves deprived of these things, they will ask questions about this. So, so that was why I posed the question on Twitter. Let's suppose we could save 100,000 lives if we eliminated music entirely, not just live performances, but just got rid of music. Now, obviously, that's not a perfect analogy because even the craziest people are not proposing eliminating things permanently, although I think implicitly they are when they say we can have them back when you have a vaccine. But from their point of view, they're not permanently demanding. And secondly, they're only demanding that live performances could be gotten rid of. So it's not meant to be a perfect analogy. But suppose that was the thing. 100,000 lives if we got rid of music and it never came back. Now, you can live your life biologically without music. You're not going to die. But would we really be murderers if we said, no, sorry, we're, we're, music is part of human civilization. It's part of what makes your soul glad. And no, sorry, we cannot get rid of it. Does that make us murderers? You know, and the, the point of the analogy is just fundamentally to get people thinking that human life is not just about breathing and eating, that there are things without which we would eventually cease to describe it as human life. And these are some of the things that, to one degree or another, these people are demanding we give up. And, the, and they'll, they'll say, oh, it's just for two months. No, it's not. Not for some of these people, it's not. It's indefinitely. And then from time to time, we may resume these lockdown practices. So in other words, it'll be impossible for you to make long-term plans. It'll be impossible for you to practice anything, become a virtuoso, because your lessons will be canceled. You might as well just give up all your long-term dreams. Well, screw that. You know, screw that. There's, there's absolutely, that's no way to live. There's no way we can make compromise with people like that. Yeah, 100%. You were just talking and you're, do we get rid of music? And I'm thinking to myself, are you crazy? That's, I don't know that I'd want to live. I mean, that's, that's insane. I know. I know. I know. I feel the same way. And, and again, it's, it is just something to think about because when you put it that way, and it's funny, the doomers, as I call them on Twitter, <laughs> they didn't know, they were sputtering. They didn't know how to answer that. They said, well, nobody's asking you to give up music forever. I know that it's a thought experiment. It's meant to elucidate. That, <laughs> you know, well, that, to, that, that's the problem, Tom. You were asking them to think. Yeah, I, I know it. I know. And, and, and man, those people, though, who criticized me for the question, people piled on them. <laughs> they piled on. So I, I guess it just surprises me how willingly and quickly so many people just thought they're morally obligated to give up the things that that give that give meaning to their lives and bring them joy, how quickly they would part with them. And the thing is, a lot of these things that bring people joy don't bring me any joy at all. I, I really don't want to go listen to a choir, but it actually, it hurts me that there are people out there who won't do the thing that makes them happy. I, I wish they would. I have no desire to go to their performance, but I wish they'd go sing. I wish they would go sing. I wish they would just say, let's live. You know, for uh, th yes, there are, they also, another thing that doomers hate, they hate when you say there are all, all kinds of risks in society. They roll their eyes and say, oh, don't they know that this one has exponential spread and whatever? <laughs> That's not the point. The point is it's a risk. There's a risk that you might uh, get COVID and die from it. That's the only point we need to worry about, that that's a risk. And yes, whether, whether it's exponential or not, it's a risk. And it belongs in the category of risk. And I factor that in to my behavior. So there, that's a risk, but there are other, there are plenty of other risks. I fly a lot. I drive a lot. Uh, sometimes I do dangerous things and I weigh the risks all the time. Now, are we going to say that on the eve of this virus, my risk tolerance level 
was exactly calibrated to the reality I lived in perfectly, like down to three significant digits so that if the tiniest change occurs, I have to suddenly stay in my house. But yet there are a lot of people who are acting like that. Like for some reason, apparently two months ago, they had just precisely the exact level of risk they were willing to take on. It, it was down to three significant digits after the decimal place. And then this comes along and it just tips them over so that they have to stay. Something screwy about this. So I, I just think people ought to be able to make their own risk assessments. And how about that Neil Ferguson? That Can you believe <laughs> the nerve of that guy? The guy who models this model that has half a million people in the UK dying on the basis of which they locked down the society. Then it turns out that having locked down the society and told everybody, you got to stay in your house, you can't go anywhere, can't visit anybody, you can't have visitors. Turns out this schmuck has a female visitor twice. The, the, his married lover comes over. So now I know some people tried to say to me, but that doesn't mean he doesn't believe his model. It just means he has temptations and whatever. Well, what it does mean you know, so I'm not allowed to call him a hypocrite for that because everybody needs a woman or I don't know what the heck the argument was. <laughs> but my answer to that was, well, here's why he's a hypocrite. He doesn't think Pete and Tom should be able to make their own risk assessments about having somebody over to the house. But he thinks he should be able to make a risk assessment about having somebody over the house. He doesn't for a second think he's going to have any problem having this woman over at his house. So he can make that decision, but you and I can't. I mean, it's... It's just perfect. These people, these people are perfect. We, we, they're perfect. They're perfect lizard people. <laughs> you know what was the best part of this conversation to me? Tell me. It was fresh. We had lunch together, and we didn't talk about this crap. We talked about everything else but. I know. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And that was, that was refreshing, too. I enjoyed that conversation for that reason, because as uh, people close to me can tell you, it's all COVID all the time around the Woods household these days. <laughs> well, yeah, it's – what else is anybody talking about? Although I did have my first experience in real life with a Doomer this week. I mean, okay, guy was 65 to 70 years old, told me that I need to be doubling up on my vitamin D, that a million people are going to die from this. And I told him, I said, you know, wearing a mask – gives me a headache and he goes that's a sign of covid you need to be tested right now and i'm like oh I, i'm not going to win with this guy and it got to the yeah. point where i just told him i said i'd rather die than believe what you believe right now and the guy got pissed i mean he got pissed and walked away from me but yeah. it was like i mean it was it, it was a he was a caricature of or like a twitter one of these twitter people brought to life it was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, To see them in real life is, I have to say, I haven't encountered that just yet. Generally, what I've been seeing is people who kind of roll their eyes at the whole thing. Like I was at the car dealership the other day. They all had masks. Most of them were down at their chins so they could talk to people. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic on mask wearing. Honestly, I mean, I could, if somebody said to me, made a, a really good case that you could prevent at this particular time the spread of the virus by wearing a particular type of mask in particular settings, I wouldn't think that that was the worst thing I had ever been asked to do in my life. You know, I, I wouldn't. But geez, I mean, you, geez, Louise, you get the CDC saying one thing and the Surgeon General and the World Health Organization saying the other, and, and they haven't backtracked. They've doubled down on that. People think they backtracked and said, okay, we were just saying that because we didn't want you all to stockpile the masks when the health professionals need them. No, no, they are, they are sticking to what they said about masks. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I'm trying to be as humble as I can. I don't say, well, the reason that Iraq wasn't hit as hard is I don't really know. And my point is I highly doubt most people at this point know either because all the phony baloney explanations they come up with fall short of being persuasive. Yeah. And I just wish we had some humility, whether it's about masks or the spread or whatever. Just, just say we're not exactly sure what's going on here. We can't have that, though, because everybody wants to turn it into a big morality play. You're evil and immoral because your society didn't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but this society didn't do X, Y, and Z, and they're doing fine. And it always has to be, oh, well, that's because of uh, this, uh, that's because of this. But even that, if I apply that principle around the world, that still comes out random. So it's like they've, 
oh, I don't know. The, the, the moralizing is, you know, one last thing. I'm sorry. I've, I've been doing a lot of, uh, uh, what, what do we call this? Um, not just thinking out loud, but this, this is beyond thinking out loud. But it's like people who say the problem with the left is that they are moral relativists. You know, they don't believe there's an absolute morality. That's whatever the left is. It's not that it is not that they say there is no right and wrong. They darn well are going to tell you what's right and wrong. And, and they're going to give it to you good and hard. <laughs> Tom, this has been great. Uh, what do you want to plug? Uh, well, the Tom Woods show, of course, uh, Monday through Friday podcast. And uh, I've been, I'm now on episode 1648 or thereabouts. So, you know, it's, it's not a fly-by-night operation, the Tom Woods show. It's been around a while. So that's <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. I, I think that I'm, this episode will be exactly one quarter of your episodes. Oh, well, hey, that's pretty good. But you started later. It's amazing you have that many. <laughs> four, six, this is going to be 416. So. Wow. You, got, uh, well, sorry, you have to do a thing for 500. Round numbers for some reason. You so, do. Well, someone told me I have to do something for 420, and I'm trying to figure that out. Oh, you got to hurry up. <laughs> yeah, if you get the reference, yeah. Yeah, that's coming right up. That's coming right up. Uh, but the other thing would be um, I am actually going to have an ebook coming out, but I don't, I don't know if it'll be out yet by the time you release this. So I'll just say... Um, I do have, given that these days, everybody thinks that progressive economic ideas are a great idea because that's, what's going to see us through the pandemic. My book, my ebook AOC is wrong. will come in handy at a time like this. So <laughs> AOC is wrong.com is where you can get that book. It's free. It smashes all the arguments and you're going to find it necessary. Uh, and once you do that, you will be kept informed of when my, my new ebook called your Facebook friends are wrong about the lockdown comes out yes i did title it that what else could i name it <laughs> that's so awesome well i always enjoy talking to you thank you so much my pleasure pete thanks for having me. all right folks that's it for today make sure if you are thinking about homeschooling and i saw a poll recently saying 40 percent of parents are more likely to consider homeschooling after the pandemic i don't know if that's actually going to hold but if you're one of that uh, number, then definitely consider the self-taught Ron Paul curriculum. And of course, use my link to get it because I give you free Liberty Classroom. I give you a free autographed copy of the Politically Incorrect Guide to American History. I created a whole course for you. Just people use my link. So the link for you to use is ronpaulhomeschool.com. I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.